1: the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Jean Turnbull, And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us is... C.L. Polk. The author of a new paranormal investigation novel... Even Though I Knew the End... Welcome to the show.
2: Hi. Hi.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like the big the big wind-up in, hi. <laughs> so
0: paranormal, noir, murder mystery, ceremonial magic, <laughs> and and true love of family.
1: Angels and demons. There's
0: your Oh, microphone. don't forget
1: the lesbians. Don't oh, yeah. forget the lesbians. Yeah.
0: Never <laughs> forget the lesbians.
1: <laughs> and my mic is gone.
0: Oh, that was fun. Yeah, come I come here and out. snuggle. Come okay. here and snuggle. All right.
1: Uh, yeah, it's just been one, one technical issue after another today. Uh,
0: <laughs> so Helen Brandt is a lesbian PI <laughs> engaged by a demon to track down what we think is another demon, yeah. making horrible, horrible murders all over 1940s Chicago. yes. And much more. If I say much more, it's a spoiler. So what are you what do? I know do? it's
2: it's got so many spoilers. It's ridiculous.
0: It's a love story because because Helen and, and Edith are are true are true loves. They are absolutely true loves, and they're
1: adorable. Yeah, I found the relationship between them. I I, I wasn't ready for it to be a, a lesbian love story, but you know. Once we were, we just dropped into the groove and away we went. Well, and it's, it's great. Who wouldn't
0: fall you, in love with Edith? She's so pure. Oh, yeah. The lady of the birds. Uh,
1: so so this is just a, 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 this is just part of a larger universe, isn't it?
2: Well, I mean, I suppose so. I said it on Earth.
1: No, I mean, it's, I, you have a, you have its uh, an no, angels and demons sort of. Uh,
2: no, this
0: isn't the same, same universe as Witchmark.
1: Oh. That's okay. that's
0: like different countries.
1: Oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they're they're totally different story worlds. Um, I wanted to write an urban fantasy story, and um, I have this kind of this habit where it's like, I I don't just stop at one genre. Like I will throw three or four in there and find a way to make them all play nicely together. <laughs> It must be um uh, difficult to market,
0: but very rewarding to read.
2: <laughs> um well I mean yeah, when I first got started there was a little bit of um I got this response fairly often. It was like, I love this story. It's great. I am not sure if we should tell people that it is a fantasy story, a thriller, or a romance.
1: Yeah, it's like uh it's the same problem we have as uh, telling people about our radio station, you know, we're one of a kind. What category do you fit in? And if you don't fit in a category, good luck marketing it. And
0: uh, well, and, so far so good. This has been out since uh-huh. uh, November.
1: And it is it the the thing is that the you mix the genres together, it's not like, you it's know, it's
0: seamless. I mean, it all it belongs is. there.
1: You yeah. didn't just
0: staple in lesbians. They 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 are you know an integral part of the story. You didn't just staple in the ceremonial magic. There's no story without it.
1: Yeah, every single piece has a role, and uh, that's. I. I was struck immediately by how well all of it blended together, and it all fits together as though it was it was. Created that way well, from scratch, honey. It was created well. I know that, that, but I'm just saying that it. It feels as though this you're working in what you've done is you've created a genre on your own that feels like it was always there and that feels very solid and it's very comforting as a reader to encounter something like that.
2: I I think one of my main advantages was that, you know, the story is set on earth. Uh it is like it is set in Chicago starting on January the 10th, 1941 and continuing to January 13th, 1941. And because I had that, um, I was able to go in and research very factual things Mm -hmm. as kind of my foundation. Um, like the, the building where Helen has her office and incidentally lives, but we won't tell the landlord that (laughs) is a real building in Chicago. I've looked at it with my own eyes. Um, it was built by real people. It's actually 14 stories tall. I had a, a diagram of the office floor plan. Wow. So I knew where everything was. And it was literally across the street from the Marshall Fields department store. And I had tons of documentation about Marshall Fields. People have been writing about that particular department store in that exact location for decades. Um, And because I had this extremely solid real world kind of reference to have everything rest on, it was really easy to do the made up locations. So I could slide this, and um, like, go into this restaurant which has an illegal poker game in the back. But don't go to the illegal poker game. Turn left into this broom closet, and then go down the stairs and use your knock password to get into this literally underground lesbian bar in an abandoned speakeasy from the Prohibition days. Like it's all like once yeah ha- once I had that foundation of like this is really actually there. Um, kind of like putting the fictional settings in was easy Bl- because it could borrow from the from the authenticness of everything else
1: so you're doing it again you're blending reality with with fiction even during the interview the, is the lesbian speakeasy is that that actually there or is there is no that, is I, that where you spliced that into reality
2: i yeah i made it up okay I, um but it <laughs> but it stands to reason I was, but it's but I, I did some research it. about um prohibition in chicago uh-huh. and like where you could find speakeasies how you could get into them how you would be connected to them but i also did um research on the gay and lesbian subculture and underground in Chicago from about uh-huh. world the end of World War I onwards, so um, like through prohibition it was very, very secretive. And in the thirties, when kind of the permissions lifted and prohibition ended, people were all like, well, let's let's go to a pansy bar let's let's see the pansies kind of thing uh-huh. um and so there was just kind of this general like curiosity and amusement and and you were kind of you were kind of cool and forward thinking and a little bit transgressive uh-huh. if you were like, well, yeah, I, of course I've gone drinking um and that sort of a thing, so I just basically took these two pieces of. Perfectly credible Chicago history, and I just kind of match them together for my own purposes,
1: and it works um, well. I, you know, I reading the stuff, reading your your book, I get the, uh, uh, you know, I got the strong sense that, you know, I it was very hard to tell how much of this was research and how much of the the background was invented, and thinking on it, you know, going. Oh my God! This must really hit. Ha- this stuff must really have been there.
0: Well, it's easier to you know everybody knows Chicago. I mean, you don't have to mm-hmm. make it up. It's not like your previous books where you were inventing whole countries, right? <laughs> you know, you you could yeah. you have a reference here.
2: Yeah, I mean. A lot of people have their own story about Chicago. Uh-huh. Like they, they have these immediate kind of associations, even if they've never been there, even if they've only heard stories about it. Um, like me, I had never been to Chicago when I actually started doing this research. And so, when WorldCon was actually in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I was walking from the hotel to various locations along the river and and down uh, State Street and all of that. Um, I had never been there and I was telling people about the sites that we were seeing because I had researched them so thoroughly.
1: Wow. Oh, yeah. The whole trip was a tax deduction then.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it would have been if I'd done it earlier.
1: Uh, uh Ah, uh-huh. I... The, uh... I had not read uh, a a supernatural detective novel. Well, that's not quite true. Um, The, uh... I've read one or two of them. There's
0: been a you know certainly a lot of supernatural detectives on TV.
1: Uh huh. Coldshack, the Night Stalker, maybe. Yeah, but <laughs> but not many of them have been gay, and not many of them have been lesbian. Funnily enough, the last one I read read was a lesbian supernatural detective thriller. Oh my god, thriller. it's a
0: genre now. <laughs> There's two books. It's, it's a, a genre,
2: right? It's a literary movement. We need five books for it to be a genre. Oh, ah.
0: okay. Well, we'll get we'll get our we'll get on that.
1: That's cool. So how many books have you got under your belt so far? Bef-
2: well, this this is like this novella is the fifth one that uh-huh. is actually available out on the bookshelves. Um, like I have a trilogy and I have a standalone and I have this one. Uh-huh. Well, the trilogy has made some waves, hasn't it?
0: Uh, World um Witchmark the World Fantasy Award winner of 2019.
2: Uh-huh. Yep.
1: That's impressive.
2: And and the reason why I was in Chicago for the Hugo Awards was because it was nominated for Best Series at the Hugos that year.
1: Wow. wow.
0: That that's is, your first series. That's really, really impressive.
1: <laughs> it really is. That's part of it's uh, a big part of why we wanted to talk to you, you know, because you, you obviously uh, uh, you are on a very steep vector upwards.
2: I suppose, I suppose I am like, I am not the person to ask about this, because my view of these things is very different, because my view is very, very close. My nose is very close to the page. Uh And when I look up, assume I have my glasses off, and I can't see anything. (laughs) So I really, I really don't know what these books are doing. I just I kind of write, I, I wrote Witchmark, and I... Like sent it out to agents and the like, and I, you know, was pleasantly surprised the whole way. Oh, I have an editor interested. Oh, I have agent representation. Oh, I have a contract. Oh, and it was just it's always <laughs> like this. I was always kind of like always shocked Pikachu face at every every turn when, um, <laughs> when I I I published the book and a few days before the book actually came out, I was at a science fiction convention. In the United States, sitting at a panel table, getting ready to give a panel with Patrick Nielsen Hayden, who I had Mm. obviously heard of for many, many years. I'd followed Making Light, but this was the first time that I'd ever actually seen him in person. And when I introduced myself to the crowd and I said, you know, my first book is coming out on Tuesday, and they all applauded, Patrick turned his head, looked at me, and said, What book? And I said, It's being published by Tor.com. It's called Witchmark. And he said, Oh, that book. And he turned back to the audience and the audience saw my face and they all started laughing (laughs) (laughs) because I was just, I had the most plain, like, what does that mean? Expression on my face. But what he meant was, oh, that book, I enjoyed that book very much. Let's move on and talk about the panel now.
0: (laughs) It's also making you, you know, name the book in front of the uh, audience so they could go, go buy it and read
1: it. First book Tor.com, agents, editors, wow.
0: Yeah, well, there must be something to it, you think? Yeah. Yeah, wreck Well, and
1: something to the writer, too. Well, of course. That's impressive as hell. Yeah. That is just, oh, that's every writer's, every sci-fi writer's dream is to get a, their first book taken by Tor.
2: I mean, it was certainly mine. It was absolutely mine when I was thinking about it. And it was just like, dizziest daydream level, I get a book published and it's by Tor Books. And... And you know that's that's what happened. <laughs> um,
0: so did you have and, shorter works sell before this?
2: Um, which I'm sorry.
0: Did you have other other you know like short stories or anything before
2: this? Uh, well, I wrote. I started taking writing seriously in about the year 1999, 2000, somewhere in there. Um, and I did a little bit of practicing around, and I wrote a short story. Um. And I was, well, I mean, I learned from Charles Coleman Finley was kind of our kind of collective mentor at the time at the online writing workshop. And one of the things that he said was, write, finish what you write, kick it out the door and keep kicking it out the door until hell won't have it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Um, And so I ended up writing this short story, and I I sent it to Strange Horizons because it was a market that I admired. And they said, no, it's far too much horror for us. And I said, what? Is it really? And so I changed tacks, and I decided that I would take a look at some horror short fiction markets. but because i wanted some convenience i picked gothic.net because i could email them the story and then i wouldn't have to print it and and mm-hmm. mail it and try right. to get uh-huh. Uh-huh. postage back from the united states to canada and they bought it oh well great and so i sent it to i sent it to strange horizons and then i sent it to gothicnet and it sold and i
1: and that was I your, your first tool. story I,
2: Yes, and I had absolutely Damn. no idea how much of a double kings fluke that was. Like I didn't know.
1: Wow.
0: Well, that's that's excellent. Oh, what a, what a great
1: that's so <laughs> encouraging. A lot of people who listen to this show on sci-fi.radio are budding writers themselves. So hearing this from you is very encouraging yeah, stuff. Yeah,
0: this this it really happens.
1: Don't be mm-hmm. afraid
0: to send it out. Because if you don't send it out, then it really won't sell.
2: I mean, I have had stories where I I wrote it and then I sent it. And the thing is, is that I always shot for the moon, right? It was like, I am going to send this to the most prestigious, highest paying, most professional short fiction market. Which basically meant I tried to send everything that I was writing to Ellen Datlow at the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Uh And she never bought anything from me. But I did get... Um, the encouraging form response, which was, I like this, just not quite enough to buy it. Uh huh. And and so I was just like, I'm gonna get her. I'm gonna get her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you never did, but I never did. <laughs> but it gave you the encouragement to go on to, uh, uh, you know, to try other markets, and you did sell them elsewhere.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Now oh, that's awesome stuff. So
2: what's next? Um, Well, okay. What's next in publication? At some point, I actually have another short story that will be coming out, I think this year, but I haven't actually, like, I don't know exactly when this year. Um, I wrote a short story a number of years ago um, that published with Mm -hmm. Tor.com. It was called... St. Valentine's, St. Abigail, St. Bridget, and LeVar Burton read it for LeVar Burton Reads.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: he read I anything. He's a
0: he's – a, he, I wasn't going to say that. Okay. he's He will <laughs> read anything he because he's a good egg.
2: And and so when I got the news that he wanted to read it for LeVar Burton Reads, I – I just sat there for a bit. It was like Chelsea.exe has crashed. I I just kind of stared. And then I wrote back and said, well, of course I would be delighted. And then um, they said that LeVar would want to meet with me on Zoom to discuss the story with me. And that was it. I was on the floor. Um, I couldn't take it. I was just – I was here. I was just like Geordie LaForge reading Rainbow – he wants to talk to me. I, I couldn't take it. And then I get into the Zoom call and there he is. There's LeVar Burton. And he talked to me for 15 minutes about how much he liked the story. And honestly, honestly, like I, I can't imagine any better encouragement. But one of the things that he said was, I love this story about Teresa Ann and I would love to know what happened to her. And my brain said, LeVar Burton told you to write a story. You have to get off the the Zoom and write it immediately. (laughs) Wow. And so I did. Um, I wrote a novelette basically about that same character, about Teresa Ann as an adult. So what happened to her? And um, I told Woshi Chen at Tor.com. And she said, can you email it to me when you are done? And I did, <laughs> and so it's going to come out with Tor.com sometime this year, but I don't know when. We'll
0: want to link to that and and to the story that it's uh, that led to it, that yeah, that Lavar uh, yeah,
2: i I do recommend reading, like listening to Lavar Burton Reads. He did an amazing job. I was spellbound. Oh, that it is, is perfect.
1: That is such a wonderful story. All by itself, the story of the story being, <laughs> wow, I I can, I can just imagine what it would be like to, to have something I wrote picked out by LeVar Burton and I can't picture it. I just, I can't. You must have been, you must have been, yeah, just offline for quite a while. Yeah.
2: I, yeah, because I was I was just stunned by that. It was it was wonderful. And so when he told me he wanted to know what happened, I had to write a story for him.
0: Okay, well we're looking forward to that. But that's done, right? You finished it and it's Oh yeah,
2: that's all finished. It's, in the it's, it's just waiting it's just waiting to appear. Okie doke.
1: Well, it has been uh it's been a great pleasure speaking with you and a delight. I mean, it, your story, your tale of how you got all of this going is so encouraging and uplifting all by itself. Uh, I'm really grateful that you, you stopped by uh, the Event Horizon here on Sci-Fi.Radio to speak with us about it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking with C.L. Polk, Chelsea L. Polk. And the book is Though I Knew the End, isn't it? It's, That's not it. Even though I knew the end. Even though I knew the end. Thank you so much for joining us this evening.
2: I'm... Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: You have been listening to episode 252 of sci Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for February 4th, 2023, with your hosts Susan Fox and Jean Turnbow. Our guest today has been C.L. Polk, the author of the Sapphic Mar supernatural thriller novella Even Though I Knew the End, from Tor Books. This episode will air again tomorrow, February 5th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and two more times on the following thursday and saturday mornings at 4 a.m pacific 7 a.m eastern once all of the air times have passed you will find this episode and others on itunes stitcher pandora google podcasts iheart radio and on our own website at sci-fi.radio sci-fi.radio is listener supported sci-fi geek culture radio and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you We are asking you to please visit patreon.com slash sci-fi radio and donate five or ten dollars a month to help keep the station on the air. It may not seem like a lot, but if everybody does it together, we can accomplish great things. That's patreon.com slash sci-fi radio. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2023 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Sci-Fi.radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.